Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. I'm Jay Reed. I'm the father. And I'm Jacob Reed, the son. We're your hosts. Well, you know, we've always had such a great musical intro for this show. I know that because I edit this podcast, so I hear it at least three times every time I edit this podcast. All the beginning, the end, the middle, there's a lot of it. But something that I think everybody has a part of their lives is music. And that ties in surprisingly well with food. So, Dad, diving into the history of music, it's pretty big, but what did you find out in your research? Well, you know, I I took music history in college. I had, you might remember from the college episode, I talked about having one particular year where I took a lot, about a, a lot of easy classes, oh, okay. and I believe music history was one of those. Not not to snub it, but mm-hmm. but I had kind of grown up taking piano lessons, yeah. and I knew a lot of the music anyway, so I got a lot of naps in that class, because if it was just a matter of identifying pieces mm-hmm. that you played on the record player... Wow, old yeah, school. Uh-huh, then uh, I already kind of knew them. So. But it was more of the classical music. It, it wasn't like very, very far back into history. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked into it, and there's things you could go back to. Mm-hmm. There's things you can go back to, like the first hymn, or no, they call it a hymn. This is the oldest extant or the oldest existing song. It's something called the Hurrian Hymn Number Six. It's from the oh. 14th century BC. Found it in Syria. I uh, gave instructions to how to play it on oh. a nine-string lyre of some sort. Okay. They considered it the world's oldest melody. Uh, the oldest composition to survive uh, in its entirety is something mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher the name, Sikolos Epitaph, mm. and that's from the first century A.D., uh, a Greek song, and they found that on a marble column that was marking the gravesite of some woman there. So before we move on, I just have this weird... Oh, we're moving back. We're not moving on. Well, moving back. When they say that it gives instructions to play... On a nine-string lyre, whatever that is. You gotta have a nine-string lyre. First things first, you have to. But I feel like an archaeologist or something could probably figure out what a nine-string lyre looks like. But do you think it was like pluck string one, pluck string two? Like, was it written out or was it some basic? I don't know. I didn't get that deep into it. No, I did see. I think they have actually played the music. I think there's a music video somewhere. I didn't watch it, but I think whoever the archaeologist or somebody uh, related found. You know, they found all the instructions. They pieced it together. Somehow some found a non-string liar and put it together. Dang. Yeah. So that was uh, that kind of takes you back as far as the music itself, the musical instruments. Now, I realize when I say this that you know it contra can counteract something that I'm not sure about 100. Mm-hmm. percent But um, they found some flute-like objects. Yeah. In uh, some digs. Um, Made from bones. One in particular was made from the femur of a cave bear and another from the bone of a vulture wing. Okay. I can see that making a decent, you know, musical instrument because if you think about a flute. Yeah, yeah. A flute's nothing more. I mean, I'm sorry to my fiance who is a flautist. Oh, you said it right. I know. I've learned the the correct pronunciation. But. (laughs) The correct pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so I can say some words correctly, but you just have to put the emphasis on the right syllable. 
But going back, I mean, a flute is basically nothing more than a, a tube with a bunch of holes that you press in a right sequence to produce a note. Yeah. So I can see something like a femur, which is a typically a very straight bone in a in an animal, making a good flute-like object. Right. With or, apologies to my friends, the flautists. <laughs> up to the flautists. But yeah, that was like supposedly 43,000 years ago. So if you go back that far, okay, there's an instrument that appears to be musical, but you really can't know mm-hmm. how it started. Yeah. Probably the oldest of people, you know, beat on something to resemble a drum. Mm-hmm. They shook something to resemble a shaker. You know, I'm percussion biased, I know. I mean, we've all at one point or another in, in our lives have tapped up some sort of melody or a beat mm-hmm. on a table or you know as kids you know you take your your spoons and you hit the pot oh, yeah and that just seems to be a, a natural human response and as a drummer i'd beat on i mean every possible surface i could my mm-hmm. mom could probably tell you stories about you that. still do that today on the steering wheel I when still, you drive i do i actually I actually do so, and I took piano lessons uh, until, like, from second grade to 11th grade. I think that's a world record, except for professionals. As a non-professional piano student, I'm pretty sure nine years is, is the record. I love this podcast because I learned family history that I had no idea. I didn't know you took piano, I took period. piano lessons, and um, I wasn't terrible, but I hated to practice. And it got to where I was embarrassing my teacher when we go to these music festivals and ah. I would play for a, a judge. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would give me pity points because they felt sorry for nice. their friend who was my teacher. So finally I told my mom and dad, you know, like, I, I know piano's great, but I don't have time to practice piano and practice drum. I choose drum. Uh, and my, my argument was the drum through Lions Band had taken me to South Africa, to San Francisco, to Washington, D.C. I said, piano took me to Columbus, Mississippi. Half an hour away. The bustling metropolis over there. So uh, I finally convinced them to let me stop. Now, I, I will say, I won't give them the benefit of saying, oh, I wish I'd have kept taking piano, because I took it for a long time. But I do wish I could play more now. Mm-hmm. I, I can sit down and play little melodies, but uh, I would like to get back into that. So you know, I play piano, drums. I did take up the tenor guitar briefly. Okay. Uh, I, my, my friend Melanie at BSU... Allowed me to play a couple times with them uh, for the, the music. Oh, uh, but she, she had to ke- she had to keep all the songs within the three or four chords that I knew. Well, I mean, if you think about it, most Christian music is nothing more than three chords. So <laughs> you were probably well within your wheelhouse. Yeah. So uh, that's my history of of uh, instruments. But if you think about why we listen to music, you know, why do we like it? Why does it resonate with us? And that mm-hmm. was kind of the thing that when we were talking about topics. That's what I thought about for music is, you know, we all like some kind of music. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty safe to say in general. You rarely find people that don't like something. some sort of music. Right. You know, somebody always, whether it's some obscure band from Yugoslavia you've never heard of before to the most popular pop artists of the time, mm-hmm. somebody has some sort of music app that they listen to. Right. And I, and we, we all love it for whatever reason, but we don't know the reason. Why is it that music resonates with us and there are some uh, theories um the emotions and the you know our, our emotions and then the tones and beats of music apparently they kind of affect the same areas of the brain mm-hmm. so that's maybe why we get emotional or why we we enjoy music or maybe don't enjoy music mm-hmm. of, of a certain kind um one article i read said the brain loves patterns 
And so music is very, you know, set on patterns usually. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we hear a lot today about dopamine dumping or dopamine release, mm-hmm. you know, from even from having a like on an Instagram yeah. post, you know, you get a little shot of dopamine and music, um, when it reaches some sort of peak or uh, excitement level, um, just dumps dopamine. It dumps dopamine at higher uh, levels at that point. Mm-hmm. There's something called entrainment too. This okay. is a new word, uh, where if the music is accelerating, you know, kind of get you that fever pitch, uh, your heartbeat and your breathing accelerate as well. So okay. that's called entrainment. So that's the word for the day. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I when I took, I didn't take music appreciation or anything of the sort just because those classes fill up really really quickly uh but i did take um and there's a there's a method to my madness i did take intro to theater and part of intro to theater is that you talk about musicals and why kind of musicals are a really kind of specific form of theater but why it's so popular and she was talking about my professor was talking about how music those musical numbers in each musical are very specifically chosen for each part of the song because song is the only way that you can express kind of the emotions hmm. of that particular scene. Cause you know, if you look at a play, there's some really serious scenes and stuff like that, but a lot of time they still have music behind them. If you look at every movie ever, there's a soundtrack behind it. Yes. I can tell you a great story about that. Well, we'll get to it in a second, but you know, <laughs> One example, Howard Shore in the Lord of the Ring movies. Mm-hmm. They have some of the best soundtracks because the music almost never stops the entire time. And the entire time in the background, you have that music playing. So when it's an intense fight scene, the music builds and it's a lot of heavy drums mm-hmm. and a lot of like high pitches and stuff. But then when it's like a really soft scene, it's like the twinkling of the bells in the background. And it like helps us point to certain directions. The dwarves have a different music than the elves. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by the way it's done. Oh, cool. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I was listen. I listened to another podcast called Blockbuster, and it tells the story of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas in mm. some of their earlier years as their as they were really getting famous. Uh, yeah. uh, Spielberg was doing Jaws, Lucas was doing Star Wars, and the story is told that things were just not going well for Lucas. Mm-hmm. He had the he had the the script, he had the the filming, everything everything was done, but it just wasn't coming out like he wanted it to. And then he got John Williams. Do the score and played with the uh, London Symphony Orchestra, I believe, mm. and it just Clicks. completely transformed what he had done visually mm-hmm. and made it into what it is yeah. that we all know. And, and today. there's people whose entire careers are nothing but creating film scores, and names like John Williams mm-hmm. really stick out to you, or Hans Zimmerman, right. because they have gotten so good at taking a certain type of music. And fitting it to films. Like Hans right. Zimmerman did Inception, which is a lot of like deep bass because it's like kind of a psyche messes with your mind a little bit. It's like the one where they go a dream in a dream. And it's got a lot of like kind of synth music, a lot of booms and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Hans Zimmerman doing Lion King, which is like one of the most signature soundtracks oh, yeah. of everything. And, you know, has like that kind of African feel behind it. And it like kind of put like the part, I forgot what it's called, but the part where um, Simba's running through the forest mm-hmm. or through the fields and he sees his father and there's just like the, I can't, I'm not going to try to butcher yeah. it, but everybody knows that yeah. scene because of the music behind it. And I actually, and who doesn't to, know Hakuna Matata? Another one that we all know. It's just something apart 
about humans, we just love music Mm -hmm. to the point of like, we want to create it. I mean, who hasn't wanted to make music at one point Mm -hmm. of their life? Yeah. And that is something that the Academy Awards reward uh, in a big way. And Mm -hmm. their score, there's original this and that and the other thing and the best song and all that. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of occupies a lot of time at the Academy Awards. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, music can really transform. And that kind of takes me to the cultural aspect of it is if you, every culture has their own sort of spin Mm. on music. And it, I, I feel like the, the word is transform or Mm. transport. I'm sorry. Transport. Okay. For instance, the other night we had Mexican food and remember we had just set up the Alexa in the kitchen Yeah, we had, and you said, Alexa, play some Mexican music. Mm-hmm. And she did, and it was great. Just it just felt natural to be sitting there eating. I think we were eating uh, fajitas from the Tullises, and yeah. uh, we were playing the Mexican music, and it just really brought the whole experience together. Yeah, and you can. I mean, that's with everything. If you go like uh, like a restaurant, will play the music and also have decor, and it kind of take you know Mexican restaurant will take you to Mexico. Mm. Uh, we had a German restaurant back in Asheville, and you know German food, German restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes you to Germany. Middle Eastern music. We lived in the Middle East for ten years, and it's that wasn't very signature. Just the other day, we were watching a documentary or something, and oh, there yeah. was some of that really unique. There's Middle no Eastern there's, music. Yeah, there's no other way to describe it, and that. it just takes you there. Um, or like the whole every time you see a Bollywood movie, or I watched anything, a Bollywood video just the other day. Yeah, but it's it's got a very like happy kind mm-hmm. of bouncy signature sound. It made me want to watch a Bollywood movie just mm-hmm. watching this song because it's just so unique. And mm-hmm. it's, I think you're right there. Is that every culture with that music, a lot of the times you can tell exactly where it's from mm-hmm. just from the sound because if you're listening to the old blues. You know, exactly. takes you to the Mississippi Delta. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to, for me anyway, if I listen to folk music, then I go back to Asheville because mm-hmm. that's where I really got into it. Uh, marching band music. Mm-hmm. You just played a marching band song for me a few minutes ago, and I was like, okay, this this takes me back to high school or mm-hmm. college for DCI or something. Marching yeah. band. It's awesome. So, as we make a slight transition, did you know, hiking back to a little thing we said earlier, about how restaurants, when they play music, you know, it kind of makes an experience, right? Sure. I saw a quote earlier that says, uh, a meal is 50% the food and 50% the atmosphere, hmm. which I think that can be pretty important because, you know, every time you go to a restaurant, there's always some sort of theme, whether it's fine dining, which is, I believe, a theme all, all itself, or if you go to one of those restaurants like uh, the one in Tupelo, Pizza versus Taco, which is an experience all of its own, Apparently, there's a lot more science behind the music than you think. Behind uh, the music. So I was looking up some articles and stuff, and you can tell science is important when the University of Oxford gets involved. You mean Ole Miss? Different Oxford. <laughs> the much older Oxford. Okay. So there's a guy, and his book is called Gastrophysics, the, science, the New Science of Food. And basically... It dives into all the different ways that sound affects the way that we eat. So if you play a faster song, as you said earlier, it increases the heart rate, Mm -hmm. but it also increases the chewing speed. So uh, somewhere with the faster music, you probably would eat faster. So they could have more turns, more Mm -hmm. turnover in the restaurant. But if it's a place like a bar, you may want slower music. Because you want it causes slower chewing, mm-hmm. makes people linger longer, 
you can sell more drinks huh. in that situation. But generally, it's shown that music will increase food and drink intakes regardless. Well, how about that? I, I was thinking about like playlists for. I listened to another podcast the other day of the Sporkful, and he was talking about whether or not he liked to listen to music while he cooked. Mm-hmm. And for him, he said he didn't. He preferred to be silent, kind of be in his head and you know. I have tried to cook listening to podcasts and listening to music, and I prefer music because mm. I want to focus on what I'm cooking, uh, but I like to have something in the background. But uh, if I have to focus on a podcast, you know, try to get all every word, then I'm not going to um, – I'm not discouraging people from listening to podcasts. Yeah. But while I cook, I'm, I'm going to listen to music more likely. Yeah, and there I think there's an experience with that as well. As well, it can create an emotional link from that song, so if it's a song that you really like, it you can actually your brain makes a connection between that and the food, causing a good experience between them. So, yeah, so I might cook better if I'm listening to my favorite tunes. Uh, maybe not cook better, but you might like it. It's actually so important to a lot of restaurants that there are an entire consulting agencies dedicated to nothing more than setting up playlists for restaurants that fits their theme. And kind of the science behind it. Like, do you want people to be there faster, slower, stuff like that. I really should have gotten to that business. I feel like you would have done really well. But it's really interesting to look at that and see uh, the way that food and music have, like, really combined. Yeah, and it it combines in, in the sense of music that's about food, too. One of my favorite CDs that I, I picked up at a at the barbecue symposium uh again i know i mentioned southern foodways alliance a lot but that's where i've learned a lot so the name of the cd is barbecue any old time Mm -hmm. it's got like 20 something songs so i just wanted to read you a few names of these songs um who did you give my barbecue to naturally uh there's a part one and a part two pig meat on the line pork chop blues i crave my pig meat pepper sauce mama Okay. Um, Give me a pig's foot and a bottle of beer. And in the same genre, pig's feet and slaw. Ham bone and sweet. Let's see. I heard the voice of a pork chop. Pig meat. I do have heard the voice of a pork chop. (laughs) Pig meat is what I crave. Fat meat is good meat. Uh, Meat man Pete. Pete the dealer in meat. And and there's several other that are not, others that are not nearly as interesting as those. But. I mean, that's 24 songs on one CD just about barbecue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's others too. I know you found some. Yeah. So, you know, with your particular album, that was definitely curated to have just a bunch of barbecue references on it. Because, you know, it's part of the Southern Foodways Alliance. That's kind of things that they're into. But it honestly goes all the way through culture. Uh, you know, I looked up, you can just search food-themed music. Mm-hmm. And it just makes, there's lists out there. One of them is by, I'm going to probably butcher their name. I think it's Migos. They're a rap group, and they have one called Stir Fry. Mm-hmm. And it's, the music video is hilarious. It's like they own a stir fry restaurant, but all the subtitles, they're like speaking English, but all the subtitles are in like Japanese. It's really <laughs> funny. But out of that, they actually had a stir fry food truck that they owned. I think it was part of their promo for the song. That just drove around Toronto and apparently had great stir fry. Huh. And people just showed up. And then the song, I've listened to it. If you're into rap, it's not bad. Uh, Nick Jonas of Jonas Brothers fame has one called Bacon. And then it just keeps going on. One of my favorite rappers, Peabod, 
Uh, he's this Christian guy out of Seattle, Washington, has a song called Sweetest Coca-Cola. Okay. And he just sings about a great day and how sweet it is, like Coca-Cola. And, you know, most of the time when you have, like, the food references, it's not always about food kind of situation. That's exactly right. So, yes. like, use discretion when you're looking <laughs> up food songs. There's one um, that I really, really like. It's by a guy named Ryan Warnick, and he is from... Uh, ooh, Clinton, I think. He goes to MC. And he has one called um, Black Coffee. Okay. And he's just singing. I think I've heard that one. I think I've showed it to you. It was a, a flavorite a couple okay. uh, last year, I think. Okay. But he just sings about how it's rainy outside. So, like, let's get black coffee and enjoy it together mm-hmm. and dance in the living room. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm behind it. But it goes to the point that classical music was influenced by it. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. From names that everybody knows, like Mozart, who has a one I cannot pronounce. This is something like Don Giovanni. Don Giovanni. Don that Giovanni. Was opera, I believe. Yes, but one song is called Champagne Aria. Okay. So talks about champagne. Drinking song. Yep, it's a drinking song. There's a famous musical called The Student Prince, and it had a song called Drink, Drink, Drink. Another drinking song. Another drinking song. This is my favorite from some guy named Schubert, the Trout and the Trout's Quintet. Some guy named Schubert. All your music major friends are gonna. I know. Think less of you now. No, actually, my friend Delaney Gillespie is gonna do say that she loves classical music. There's the classic Dance with the Sugar Plum Fairy. Sure. And then one of my personal favorites. I wanted to hear you pronounce that composer's name. Oh, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. No. <laughs> I, I just murdered it, but this is my personal favorite. Yes, um, from our good friend Bach, who is known for much other things. He actually wrote a coffee cantata. I'm not going to try to say it in the original language, but the language, the translated version is "Be still, stop chattering." This is a comedy opera about a father who is trying to convince his young daughter to stop drinking coffee because it makes her very caffeinated and talk all the time. Okay, well, that's fun. Uh, my my probably the probably the first food song that really resonated with me was called Cornbread and Butterbeans, and I heard it at Thacker Mountain Radio, played by the Yellow Bushwhackers, which is the house band there. I understand all those words separately. Okay, <laughs> and I looked it up to figure out kind of where it came from, and it's actually a Carolina Chocolate Drops song. You might remember, maybe yes. it was the first episode. My favorite was. Was Rhiannon Giddens? Yes, yes, yes. I think that was our very first episode. Maybe she was uh, the lead singer or the main one of the main singers for the Chocolate Drops, and And so food reference in the name even. That's their song. And I don't know if you remember Fantasia. I think she was on one of the American Idol seasons that we watched way, way back. She didn't win, but she was way up there. She's got a song called "I Love You." Just like my collard greens and cornbread. So the the idea Mm. was, you know, I love you, but you know, I'm comparing it to how much I love yeah. collard greens and cornbread. Uh, Louis Armstrong, I found this, this doesn't make sense, but uh, Louis Armstrong has a song called Cheesecake. And it's like, cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake, gobble, <laughs> gobble. And this, the video that I watched had Bing Crosby and this other guy, and they would kind of like walk by the camera and so gobble, gobble, or cheesecake. That's so, funny. It was funny. Uh, let's see what else I got here. Jack Johnson has something called Banana Pancakes. I think it's just a line in the song. Yeah. Uh, and then Nat King Cole has a song called Frim Fram Sauce. Okay. And there's really no such thing as Frim Fram Sauce, but there's a lot of a lot of food. Mm. Uh, and this is one of those that may have some 
Uh, innuendo may have some other meaning gotcha. to some of the words. Use discretion. Yeah, but I mean, there's it, yeah, it's not going to offend anybody. But if you just don't think about it too hard, um, but those kind of things. I used to have another whole list of food songs, and I've I've lost it. But um, I love like anything else, you know, whether it's a food book or a food movie or whatever. I mean, food music is is awesome. The only other question is, can you make music with food? You actually can, because there's this group that I've seen, and I can't tell you what their name is, but they literally hand-carve all their instruments out of fruits and vegetables and then perform a full concert with it. Really? It's very interesting. The man's got, like, a carrot recorder and, like, has, like, a baritone made out of a pumpkin or a watermelon. It's very odd, but it's very interesting. Well, I think you could do, like, just off the top of my head, I thought about a gourd. I mean, we don't necessarily eat a lot of gourds, but it's it's a that's a vegetable of sorts, or some we do, and you could make something out of that for sure. And then, you know, I made my own shaker with rice inside a can one time. So, is that food making music? I feel like that is. All right. Speaking of music, there are those drum beats. Dad, what are your favorites for this week? Well, I'm going to go. It's not necessarily a food song except for one of my favorites that has to do with a rolling pin. So that's a cooking instrument. And I'm going to say everybody needs to go listen to Eddie from Ohio. They're one of my favorite folk groups. I mentioned earlier that music... When I listen to folk music, that kind of transports me back to Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's where I first heard them. They were opening up for uh, David Wilcox. And David Wilcox has a song about a mango. Okay. So um, parental discretion advised. More food <laughs> references. Right. But uh, and Eddie from Ohio has this song. They're a, I don't think they're playing much together now. Mm-hmm. But they were just amazing musicians. And a lot of the music was, was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It had like undertones of, yeah. of humorous undertones. and. Anyway, Eddie from Ohio, even though they're not necessarily playing concerts now too, very often, <clears throat> they're from the Washington, D.C. area generally. I think some of them have moved out now, but amazing talent, hilarious songs. Some of them, they did a a, a, a medley of Schoolhouse Rock songs okay. at one concert, and I just love that. Just, that just sort of That's pretty cool. made me fall in love. But there's a song about a guy coming home late, and how uh, he's expecting to be hit in the head with a rolling pin from his wife when he gets home. That's and, funny. Uh, and then it ends like, don't do that again, or I'll hit you in the head with a rolling pin. Dang. So anyway, Eddie from Ohio. All right, so I also am going to recommend a band for my favorite. So this is a band that I really, really love, have loved for a really long time. Um, according to Spotify, they were my band of the decade. Oh, wow. So apparently I listen to them. They're typically in my top five artists every year. Uh, but their name is Citizens. They used to be Citizens and Saints. Uh, they're a indie, Christian, alternative, some worship. They're kind of really experimental with a lot of their sounds. Every album is really unique, very different. Um, and they like kind of push it, but it's all very scripturally based. And they're out of the Seattle, Washington area. So really kind of vibey, for lack of a better word. Vibey. Very hipster. One of them has a mustache. It's really funny. Uh, But one of the things that they recently did, their most recent project, I think is called The Joy of Being, where they went into their church 
It was completely empty, just them and their instruments, and all of the songs were f- recorded on their iPhones. So they have that kind of low-quality sound to them, which mm-hmm. they purposely added to it. And it was really cool because when that happened, the whole coronavirus thing happened, so everybody was locked down, and all the churches were empty. Mm-hmm. So they like kind of pushed it out at, right when that all happened, kind of like we didn't do this on purpose, but like but. look what the the situation is so like let us bless it with you and they are some great songs and that that also kind of brings up another thing that we've seen on pandemic video (laughs) it's been people getting on their iphones or or doing a zoom song together and i know there's more to it than meets the eye Mm -hmm. but i've seen some artists from nashville saying uh uh, is well with my soul i believe and they get their vocal band did a couple songs. A lot of live concerts on Instagram Live. Right. So thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast and think others might enjoy it too, please share and rate on whatever podcast platform you found us. And they are legion. You can find us on the worldwide interweb at Vittle Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Vittles and Vitals Podcast on Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea of a subject you'd like to hear us cover, shoot us a message. And remember, if it's vital, look for the Vittles.